If you have your Bibles, you can also start to begin to flip over to 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be at the end of chapter 1 to start in chapter 2 this morning as well. Aftershock, okay. Treehouse, Aftershock, anyone that is disappointed that it's me up here and not Trace? Oh, there we go. <laughs> A bunch of people left. I, I shouldn't say that. Okay. All right. Uh, let's pray, and we will uh, we'll get started here this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we again thank you uh, for this just opportunity uh, to come together as a community. Father, your word is important. Your worship and praise is important. And we know the Hebrews teaches us that our gathering together is just as important, Father God. You told us not to forsake the assembly of the brethren, even so much more as we see that day approaching, Father. So we pray that not only do we learn and hear from you and course correct what needs to be corrected, Father, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen our ties together as a community of Jesus, a community of followers of you, uh, guided by your teachings. You are our rabbi. You are our teacher. You are our Lord and our master. So help us to, to conform to the image and the example that you've set. We love you. We bless you. We thank you. We get the truth said. Amen. So, Second uh, Corinthians, uh, Pastor Trace has been doing an excellent job kind of laying out what's going on here. So this is a, by way of remembrance, if you're joining us for the first time, there are problems in the Corinthian church. Amen? Amen. There is some real drama going on. And so, no surprise, the start of this letter, Trace told you on, in week one, that actually experts think that there's actually probably at least four letters to the Corinthians, and we have two of them. Scholar uh, uh, so Henry Wright says this. He says, Corinthians is like, you're starting to read a story, and you see a guy walking down the street, and it's like, man, he's having a good time, he's skipping, he's singing a song in his heart, and he goes into this house. And then it's like, there's a break, and you're like, what's, what's going on here? You flip the page, and the next thing you know, the guy's out of the house, and his eyes busted up, he's missing some teeth, his arm's broken. And it's like, what happened in that house? Like, what happened to this poor kid? And his thoughts are, like, Second Corinthians is like this. He goes... The author, what God wanted us to know is like, it doesn't matter what happened inside the house. We want to talk about what we do now that we're out of the house. And us as human beings, it's like, I'm more interested in like, like who jumped? Like how many guys were in there? Is this like a group of guys? Is it an animal? Right? And that seems to be our approach to thinking about scripture. And so we get our mindset on the like, it doesn't really matter what happened at the end of the day. What we're trying to learn here, what's the takeaway? This has happened, and how do I respond? What's the church's response? So our text is going to be from 1.23 to 2.11. And what's happening here, again, to put us back in the story, is there is a, a great sin in this church. Uh, we find out in 1 Corinthians that uh, even one guy is sleeping with his stepmom, and he's proud of it. He's not ashamed of it. He's boasting about this in the church. that he's having relations with his dad's wife. And this is going on. And the church really seems to accept it, like, hey, cool. And Paul's having to correct this, like, no, this is not cool. This is the opposite of cool. Like, we've got to stop this. Now, there, most people assume this is what's happening at the beginning of this letter, is this guy's correction, but it may not be. But again, it doesn't really matter. What we're after is the response to the correction. Normally, we read from a different translation, but I thought, for the sake of clarity, I would read our text this morning out of the NLT. NLT is very easy to read and track with the story. It's not a great study Bible if you're trying to get in there and you know, really parse out the word, but it flows really well as far as the story. So let me read this to you. It says, Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. 
But, it, but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy. For it is by your own faith that you stand firm. So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For if I cause grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I uh, won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. I'm not overstating it when I say the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, is the time to forgive and to comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and to see if you, were, you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his schemes. I like that translation there because you can kind of see the story, right? This guy has sinned, and now it's like, hey, you've punished him enough. Most of you have rejected this guy enough. He's Corinthians, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, teaches us this guy probably got tossed out of the church. And he was outside of fellowship. Now Paul is saying, it's enough, right? Like, punishment doesn't go on indefinitely. It's time to welcome him back. And if you punish him too much, he's actually going to be discouraged and rejected from the church, right? So let's bring him back in. In verse 5, if you've got your Bibles there, just by a way of it, again, because we want to keep this in our mind, the big thing here is there's grief in the church to the body. This guy's sin has hurt the body. We learn that the vast majority of the church participated in the punishment. Keep in mind, church punishment is not flogging or beating. It's not like the Puritans and the Calvinists, Salem witch trials, when you come to the state. Right? Is Paul's example is you go to that person individually, they reject it. When you bring two people to witness, they reject it. Now the whole church comes together and confronts the sin. And finally, they're put out of fellowship. So this has happened. And then now, Paul's instruction is to how do we get this guy back into fellowship? Like, we've got to bring it back in because you can't be outside forever. Now, what I really want to teach and preach on this morning actually comes out of verse 10 because it's kind of a throwaway verse. Because we might have missed this. Let's, let's look at verse 10. Now I go back to the ESV here because this will give us clarity for what's happening. Paul says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything, has been for the sake and the presence of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've read this before. That's very confusing. He's like, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it's like, well, make up your mind. Have you forgiven something? Have you not forgiven something? Like, what are you getting after? What I, on the screen here, I want to quote again from N.T. Wright. And this helps clarify this. Listen to this. He says, as a throwaway line in the middle of verse 10, Paul demonstrates that he has done this. I mean, forgiven. What I've forgiven, he begins, and then he racks his brain to see if he has, in fact, forgiven anyone or anything. He assumes he must have done, but he can't for the life of him think, think of who or what it is. If indeed I've forgiven anyone anything, he adds, 
This isn't absent-mindedness. It is part of a rigorous spiritual discipline. What Paul forgives, he also forgets. Right? So he's he's laying out a case here. He's like, hey, if I have forgiven, like, he writes this whole letter about how this guy has caused all this grief, and all of a sudden he doesn't remember. Right? Maybe. Like, it's already out of his mind. And that, friends, is how you welcome someone back in fellowship. Someone who is severely sinned. How do we welcome back? It's a spiritual discipline. Not only forgiving, but forgetting. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, i got to set this up because this is going to seem awfully weird, right? Because, like, how do I forget? We're going to get to this. And you say, just get older, it's going to happen naturally, of course. But we forget this, the mundane things, the things we want to remember. But unfortunately, we remember all the grievances we have. Do we not? We remember the people that have hurt us. I mean, that's just the truth. We'll forget where we leave our wallet keys. Last two weeks ago when I was here, I always take my wallet out of my hand. I should say this because if you like to steal church wallets, you'll never mind that. I won't tell you where I normally keep it at, but it disappeared. And I had to go get on a plane that after, last Sunday afternoon. So I was freaking out with IDs on there, like credit cards and everything. And somehow it got packed up with the audio stuff and put it But for the life of me, everyone was like, Are you sure you brought it this morning? And everyone was like, Well, I think I got you. <laughs> I just couldn't remember. It's like I can go through so many repetitions and come find out I didn't bring it. I think Mike packed it up. That's right, bud. Look at you. That was my own fault for leaving back there. So anyways, forgetting, we're going to talk about this, where it's like, well, this is going to be really weird. But the first thing you have to realize is that this is a very much a God trait. I pray you follow on this, okay? So let's look at some examples. Isaiah 43, 25. This is God speaking. I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. God, write this down, jot it, come ask me, I'll send you these slides. Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31.34, no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, and I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin, what? No more. You see a trend developing here. I'm just giving you a handful of them. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, we, in the New Testament, we have this word blotted out a lot. You guys have heard this before? So, defined, it means to obliterate, to wipe out of existence or memory. And here, this is a, a, not a Christian definition. It says, and it uses it in a sentence, at least one Indian nation was blotted out as the pioneers moved west. As this is the idiom of how it's used. It says it's first recorded in 1516, meaning to ink blot, like you spill ink on a piece of paper, paper and you can no longer read what was written. So we have this idea that our sins are remembered no more, they're blotted out. Like you couldn't decipher it even if you wanted to, what we've done. That's how strong the blood of Jesus is. Amen? That it washes us clean. Even though our sin had stained us, as if you will be a pure white, a wool, right? Where you have this nasty marks against us, and the blood has cleansed us. So much so that God says, I will not remember your sins. Now, there's a, if you go and research, there's, an, there's a branch of Christianity that says, absolutely God remembers it, even though it flies in the face of the scripture. Because you're like, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he knows everything. And you can, some people can't get, mentally get their head wrapped around this idea that God can forget something. It's an act of his will. I will remember your sins no more. It's not that he's aging. He makes a decision to do this for us on our behalf. Amen? And it, it, it blows my mind. 
Now the psalmist David in the Psalms in verse 51.9, part of his prayer, and there's multiple, you can look this up, he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Like this is our prayer, right? No one, when we stand before God, the Bible says we will give an account for life we've done it. But think of this idea that we had to live forever with him with this sin knowledge hanging over us and our guilt. Like we do now. Like we're cognizant of our defects. Amen? How do we become boldly before the throne when we're aware of our worthiness and our sinfulness? Right? We have this the paradox again, right? Like what this is about. Like how, how do I, as a creature who sins, continues to sin, somehow has been made clean, then have the boldness to approach the throne of grace, to live with God as if I've never done anything. It seems like hypocrisy, but it's not because of what he's done. Are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. So this is the, the paradox right here. So let's talk about this. Number one, so we, we saw here that this is a God thing. That God, when he forgives, he forgets. I will wipe this thing away from you. We have boldness, right? If we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us, Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise, friends. If you've truly repented and confessed your faults, you are clean by the blood of Jesus. There's no, nothing left to do with that. It's done. Now, we pay the consequences sometimes of our sin here in the natural world, right? So if you have uh, premarital sex outside of a relationship, someone gets pregnant, God will forgive you, but you still have responsibility to that child that's now being born in this world. Amen? So there are natural consequences to our sins. But forgiving others would be our next one. So now we're going to start to look outward. So we know that this is God. So now we've got to think about how do I forgive and forget what others have done? This is going to be part of the process here. So in the case of the Corinthian church, we see that somebody has grieved the, almost the entire church. Right? Could you imagine someone that came in here and did something very bad in this congregation? And then Pastor Trey says, now it's time to welcome this guy back in. That's wild, right? Like, somebody really sinned not only against God, but against the congregation. Let's say let's say they embezzled money from everybody. We thought it was like a Christian missionary. And we liked his story. And he raised all this money, and we find out he, he bought a portion. Right? And then Trey's like, okay, time to welcome back in here. I, I know all of you would be like, where's my wallet at? This guy's not going to be done. So this is natural humanity. Like, we... Am I wrong here that we would all be like, okay, watch out for this guy, right? Yeah. But here's what Paul's getting at. He's like, I don't remember what this guy's done. Let's, let's welcome back before he gets too discouraged. This is tough to do. It's not on your screen, but you can jot down. Colossians 3.13 advises us, be quick to forgive. Like, we want to get out of punishment mode as fast as possible. We want to be quick to forgive. We want to be quick, depending on the severity of the sin, right? We're like, this isn't like a 24-hour thing. But our heart's desire is to be very quick to forgive and to forget these things. So how do we do this? It's easy for me to tell you, like, oh, I stopped myself there. Why does it matter that God, I mean, you know why it matters why God does it. But if God does it, why do we do it? Does anyone have a thought on that? Can you think of a verse that tells us to be imitators of God? Right? That he is our model. That Jesus is the model. He's the standard. Not just standard for pastors. He is the standard. He's the firstborn of many brothers. So the Bible tells us to imitate him. If you want to know what we should do, look to what God does. Remember the bracelets like 20 years ago? What would Jesus do? Anyone still rocking us these days? It's actually very apropos that we should actually, what would he do? He'd be quick to forgive. 
you'd be quick to help. So this is why we're doing it. Because a lot of you have not learned to let go. You've said you've forgiven, but you still carry the baggage of the sins committed against you. And it so grieves you. And you've never completely been able to move on. And friends, if you can't move on, like you can't go into more of what God has for you. This is what we would call the root of bitterness, hurt, anxiety, fear. And you say with your mouth that you've forgiven, but you haven't, you haven't truly done it. Because you still think about it daily in the week. Amen? So how do we do it? Really, the example is we have to learn to control our thoughts and our tongues. Easier said than done. So thoughts. So when you think of someone and what they've done to you or just what they've done, maybe, there's, maybe they haven't done it to you, but you think about this person as a bad person comes to your mind. The scripture teaches us that it uses this language. You must capture these thoughts. Again, not on your screen, but jot it down. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we'll teach on it later. But it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Meaning you have to think about what you're thinking about. Right now, do a spiritual inventory. Is there someone in your life, when you see them or you think of them, you think of how terrible they are, what they do or what they've done? Does anyone have anyone like that? Yeah, a lot of them. I pray to start this thoughts. Okay, we've got to stop that. This is what we're after because this is what maturity in Christ looks like. Like Paul's setting it out here. Like he's writing a letter saying, hey, how do we deal with this guy? He's like, I don't even remember anymore. I've moved on. Some of you have to move on. I can't, I can't stress this enough. Actually, I think most of you need to move on. A lot of you carry unnecessary weight. The Bible teaches us that out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. So when you go after what's in your heart, you're able to cut it off before it comes out. Came up with a sweet rhyme. Cut it out before it comes out. Come on. I love, you know I love a good biblical rhyme. So don't the symptom isn't the sneeze. And the symptom is the sneeze, but that's not really the sickness. Right? So it is when our mouths are subduing poison. Something's actually going on on the inside. So start with your heart. What are you thinking about? What do you meditate on? Then? So how do we capture these thoughts? Is I've told you this before. I'll tell it again. Speak to yourself. Let's say I think Ben is a terrible guy. I like Ben. He's probably the sweetest soul in this church. He's just a sweet man. And I mean that, like a gentle spirit like that is, is one. That's not the thing I need because everything I would say is not true. But let's say I don't like Ben. He's sinned against me. He's he's talked bad about me. He's just terrible human being. We won't go into details. And he's repented. He's changed his ways. He's repented to me and to God. But every time I think about Ben, I'm like, I just don't like that guy. This guy's terrible. I don't trust him as far as I can throw All the things we say. If I'm really trying to get better at the spiritual discipline, that thought comes to my mind. Here's exactly what I would say. No, he's forgiven. Michael, you've forgiven him. That's the end. Let's Satan take advantage of us. We just read this. We're going we're to dive into this. No, I've forgiven him. I promise you, if you start talking like that, those thoughts will get to faith. He doesn't do it on the first one. Uh, Matthew's going to tease me. But for me, in my own personal experience, within 30 days, I've normally gotten the victory. I normally have to do it about a month. And then that's every time I see him, and I'll just say it to myself. If I'm, if I'm next to him, I'm like, I don't hate him. I'm forgiving He's like, what are you talking about? I will speak it to myself if it's not appropriate. Right? Like, no, that's not it. That's not the way. 
loves patient, loves kind, and gives, and believes the best in people. So speak, speak it out. Use your tongue now for good. Again, not on the screen, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that you may give grace to those who hear you. You have to stop talking about it. Stop bringing up faults that have been forgiven, sins that have been forgiven. Right? Do you have anyone that you can talk about like that? Oh, oh here's, a, here's a pro tip in marriage. Get rid of the word you always when talking to your spouse. You always leave that wet towel on the floor, and I've asked you not to. Right? These are silly examples, but let's use one. Um, let's say a party has a grievance with each other, and a, a, the couple's trying to work through an issue. You always put yourself first. That is not a fair statement. If they've asked forgiveness, and you're having a discussion, you're bringing up every other thing they've ever done. You've always done this. They've, you can tell right now by the language they've never learned to let that go. That means there truly wasn't forgiveness there. You always. Now, it's easy. My, you know, my wife and I, we learned this lesson a long time ago. It's like, hey, we've got to learn how to disagree with each other. Right? I, I can't bring up, there's nothing worse than your wife saying, well, what you did five years ago. Is anyone not that? I've done it. I'm, she's not here to defend herself. But I do that to her too. Right? So this is two guilty parties. But be honest. You use that in a relationship that you pull up things someone's done in the past and to get angry at them for what they're doing right now. They don't bold enough to raise their hand. My man Brian is that. All right. Anthony, you're terribly going to be. I'm kidding. He's also his man. No, I'm guilty too. We do this. I'm just, yeah, no one's going to come back next week. But I want you to think about that. Think about your words have power. Like, we don't think about it in the moment, but if you stop and reflect on what, what people, when you disagree with somebody or, or there's sin between the two parties. Like, you listen to the words they use. Like, man, you, you haven't let any of this go. For like, 25 years, we've been married. Like, you're so mad about that? You know? But unfortunately, we carry these things. We have a long memory of grievances. It's almost like we tuck them away for a rainy day. It's like, I'm going to tuck this one away, because this one's going to be really good, you know, when I really want to get you. And as funny as that sounds, that's not Christianity, and that's not Christ. The moment has been forgiven, and repented of, and there's been fruits of repentance, that thing's dead. It's dead with God. And the problem is, is we still need our punishment. We still hold guilt, and we like to have that. So I'm going to give you two things today. I'm going to give you a prayer and a meditation on this point. So here's our first one. Here's your prayer. It's up on this slide, please. This comes out of Psalm 141.3. And if you struggle with this, here it is. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my pray this. I pray that you would learn to use your mouth for good and not evil. That your mouth would begin to build others up. And even if your mind is to say you're remembering this sin, because it is a discipline. It's not going to happen overnight. But we've got to stop the poison from coming out. People don't feel welcome back in the fellowship if you're always recalling what they do wrong. You know what? Oh, you know what? Sister so-and-so, there she is again. You know, she, she always does this. She says it, blah, blah, blah. Stop. Cut it out. You've got to stop. You've got to grow up. Amen? And a church that behaves like that has not really gone on to maturity. Because the truth of the matter is we've all sinned and we've all missed it. And some people have pretty big sin. How do we welcome back in the fellowship? If your spouse has really hurt you, really sinned against you, 
How do you reconcile this relationship? Because, and it doesn't happen over the course of a week. I'm not saying this happens over a month. I'm not saying it happens over a year. But we have a goal in sight where I can live with this other human being without thinking about what they've done to me. That's how relationships end. It's like, I can't get over this. I can't move on. They have to sever ties. And this powerful testimony of couples that have done that, where they've, it's water under the bridge. It's like, like, how do you make it through it? It's like the grace of God, right? And you can forgive and forget. Because remembering these things, it's just carrying the weight the other person is no longer carrying. Why are you still suffering? Amen? So remember that prayer. Number two, my last point here. Well, second to last point. <laughs> I wanted to pause because you might be struggling with this right now. Like, this is impossible. Forget it. Because some of you have been sinned against groups. I know a lot of your stories. But I want to talk to you about why these things go hand in hand and why it matters. Sometimes when you have the why, it makes you okay, I need to do this. In our text we had this morning, 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs, his plans. So he says, here's why we're forgiving and forgetting. Because we know his plans. We're walking this guy back into fellowship because we know his plans. Revelation 12.10 tells us Satan's plans. Like, well, what is Satan's plans? Glad you asked. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Listen, for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan's primary role in this life, he's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. He accuses us before God. Zechariah 3.1 Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So he's seeing in the spirit here Joshua praying to God, but he also sees what, what Joshua can't see, that he's being accused by God, by Satan. When you use your heart and your mouth to bring up people's sins that have been forgiven, listen, you're doing Satan's job for you. His device is to bring accusations before God against his people. Sins that have been forgiven, and you keep talking about it, you might as well be saying, yeah, but he's sinned. He's not truly forgiven. Look how terrible this guy was. When you use your mouth to do these things, you're literally doing his job. You've fallen into the trap. We call this rehearsing people's sins. When Jesus caught, the woman who was caught in adultery, drove her to Jesus. Jesus had this awesome line, right? He who is without sin can cast the first stone. What happened to the crowd? What did Jesus say to the woman? Woman, where are your accusers. Neither do I condemn you, right? Go and send no more. So we have a, a group of accusers before the Lord, and this person is done so and so. So when you get together in your fight clubs or your groups, talking about how terrible someone is, what are you doing? You're accusing. This is where forgiving involves intentionally forgetting those things. So forgetting is a tricky word now, and we're trying to see what it means. It means you've got to learn to let this go, because you're not talking about it, and you're not thinking about it. So forgetting doesn't mean that it's completely wiped out in your mind. Like I said, we, it's going to come back up, I promise you. You think you have this thing whipped, 
Two years later, it's going to pop back up. And you better learn to put that thing right back down so it doesn't cause problems. That's been my experience. As I've really learned to forgive those who have hurt me, I will go a year or two and I'll be good. And then all of a sudden, one day I'll wake up thinking about bad about this person. I don't know if anyone's ever done this. I totally forgot how much I hated that guy. <laughs> and then I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? And immediately, I, I, I do what I tell you. Nope, they're forgiven. I promise it goes away. Like, it's almost like I'm being tempted by Satan to like, go back into these old habits. So anyways, this is why they go hand in hand, because we'll end up doing Satan's job for us, for him. Amen? Okay, here's the toughest one. I'm going to end the message with this. So we learned that forgiving and forgetting is something God does, whether it's a model him. We see Paul model him. And so I told you we have to learn to walk in this with each other. But the toughest thing to do is learn to forgive and forget yourself. The sins that we've done, the mistakes that we have made. See, when you rehearse and you remember just how terrible you are, is you're accusing yourself before God. Yeah, but I did this. Well, if you've been forgiven, have you or have you not? Are you cleansed or have you not? See, the Holy Spirit is active in our spirits and our minds. And when you can't let go, you haven't truly forgiven yourself like God has forgiven you. Again, you're doing Satan's job inside your own heart, condemning yourself. Therefore, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, according to those who have been called according to his purpose. See, part of the great promise of, of Jesus this idea there is no, therefore now no condemnation. Some of you condemn yourself repeatedly. You're your own toughest critic. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, he says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. We'll stop there. Now he's talking about what he's doing in the land here. But can you think of anyone else God said he's made a new thing? You. Behold, all things have been you're a new creation created in Christ Jesus, created for good works. So you have been created new like this. And the exhortation is to remember not the things of old. I'm not telling you not to learn from your mistakes, but you've got to truly learn to forgive yourself for what you've done. If God has forgiven you, you've repented, and you've changed your ways. I mean, does anyone have those things that come back and haunt you? I'm sure we all do. And they come up at most random times. But friends, I, how I think about these things is like, I almost feel like I'm doing a disservice to forget them. Well, almost like I have to go out and like flog myself a little bit. Like, I still need to pass some penance for this because it was so grievous. And I, I, I can churn it back up just to make sure that I'm, I know there's nothing on the God side, it's just something I'm doing. What's the guy I remember that or something. And my expectation this morning is like, we got to learn how to go this to you born the fruits of repentance and you changed your ways, you have to stop that negative self-talk. There's a point when you have to get over it. Right? Nope, I've been forgiven. Here's the same exercise I told you. No, I've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And ask for that kind of release, casting all your cares and anxieties and concerns on him uh, in this matter. Now I told you I would leave you with a prayer and meditation. So here's the meditation. Philippians 3, 13, and 14. So meditation doesn't mean 
you know, hot, hot yoga session, being weird, and all that kind of stuff. It really just means to met, like to stop and ponder something. To really stop and really use your mind to think about what the scriptures tell you. It says here, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But here's the one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. And I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal uh, of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see this thing? I forget what lies behind. So it's not only the bad, it's also the good. Yesterday doesn't matter anymore in the kingdom of God. Hey, I was a big-time quarterback in high school. You know those guys that's 20 years later, it's like, come on, you got to let it go. So even the good things we need to let go of. Every day is new. His mercies are new every morning. You may have been a terrible human being in 1999, 2002. You may have. Yes, 2023. You are following the Lord. You are, you are moving in a direction. When are you going to finally cut tie with that baggage? Amen? Amen? You have to learn this. Some people go through their whole life suffering, and God has forgiven and blessed them and made them a new creature. And they're still eternally paying for those sins. Christ's sacrifice was enough. I hope I'm not, we're not missing the point here. I'm not saying that we can sit and do what we want because Christ is awesome and I don't have to feel bad about it. That's not the message. Because true forgiveness, you know, repentance means to turn and go in the other direction. Right? You notice I use the language, they've shown the fruits of repentance. Because some people sin and they ask for forgiveness, and we do it and try to forget, and they do it again next week. Yeah. They do it again. That's not, on them, that's not true repentance. Therefore, like, I'm weary of what this person is going to do next. But I've seen no fruit of it. So I'm not saying you go into every relationship just completely blind by being taken advantage of. And that's why, like, there's this amount of time where somebody shows the fruit to me. Like, yeah, this is a repentant lifestyle. And I'll be honest with you. When somebody truly repents, their whole life changes. They might be the last one to see it, but has anyone seen that where somebody was walking in sin, they're hiding the sin, and you, you didn't know they were in sin, and so you just never knew them to be the lights truly in them. And then all of a sudden it comes out, it was a dark time, blah, blah, blah. And then like six months later, you're like, this is a totally different human being. They're like walking in the light, they're like joyful, you can see it in their eyes. You can tell. Like, there's spiritual signs of them truly repentance. So. Well, that's what I have for you today. So the Corinthian church is. There's a lot of problems, but we have this nice little verse here that teaches us like how do we transition. We don't want to be in punishment mode all the time. And the, the takeaway again, beat the horse again. You have to let start letting this stuff go. If you said you've forgiven somebody, if you said you've forgiven yourself, you've been forgiven by God, why are you going back and rehearsing this? It's human nature. You're not broken. You're not wrong. You don't need medication. You just need to start doing some stuff about it. You've got to start doing some spiritual disciplines. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we...